Real missions, the kind of missions that matter, the kind of missions that, that motivate, that are meaningful, that are difficult, they have a power that is almost unparalleled. They can unite us and bring us together and propel us forward in a way that just about nothing else can. I'll give you one example. Consider the sorry state of the American space program, I won't say today, on May 25, 1961. The Soviets had been crushing the Americans in the space race for four years. They had achieved milestone after milestone, while the U.S. consistently lagged behind, and most things just blew up on the launch pad. By May 1961, the Soviets had orbited a cosmonaut in space, and the sum total of American manned space flight was about 15 minutes. And yet, in that backdrop, President John F. Kennedy delivered his famous mission to the United States space program. I believe that the nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before, the end of, before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. Now, this mission that was so simple to grasp a hold of, so clearly articulated, so difficult, so compelling, so significant, and so well-supported, really propelled forward an effort that would eventually involve over 400,000 men and women to achieve the goal, to accomplish the mission in just a little over eight years to turn science fiction into reality. And that, I think, is the power of mission. If you've been a part of a mission that mattered, you find it, most of you will find it addictive. You want to be part of that again. Well, in an even more compelling way, the early church was given a mission. It was given to them personally by the risen Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. And it was a mission that changed their lives and, of course, changed the world. Their mission is the starting point for our new sermon series, and I'm calling it Adventures of the New Testament Church. We have spent the last several months at a very personal focus. We've been up close and personal with Jesus, looking at his miracles and what they say about who he is and how they anchor our personal faith in Him as Lord and Savior. And we've also spent some time in January looking at what we call the three rights of a believer, right living, right loving, and right belief, and how they anchor our faith in good times and in bad, when the world tries to chip away at that faith. And so now we're going to change our focus. We've spent a lot of time on our personal faith, but... But we're changing our focus, because with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the era of the church began. And really, the, the activity of Christians coming together, working together, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as a unified body, moves to the forefront. And that activity, that unification, of course, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, it is an outworking of the personal faith that we spend some time looking on. It is the exercise of the three rites of the believer. And so having just celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're now going to spend the spring looking at some of the experiences of the first century church. 
and what they have to say about us in the 21st century here in Prince William County at the intersections of Mariner and Clipper. Now, God is altogether amazing. I'm always astounded by the way he works, and I love when you see those little things that that really show, yeah, he's got a plan even though we don't know what's going on. He laid the general concept and timing for this series on my heart back in early October when I had no reason to think I'd be standing here in April and where I had no idea what we would be doing as a church in April. And yet, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was at my notes, and I saw that they were back in October, April 3rd, the Great Commission. April 10th, the Acts 2 church. We had no idea that we would be coming together as a body to begin a congregational journey to articulate and define our vision as a church. And yet, I think in God's perfect timing, he has arranged this series of messages for us. Because the team that Neil introduced is really just a facilitation team. This visioning process is about all of us, all coming together to to really find and unite around God's vision for this church. And of course, it is the process that will ultimately guide our search for the next lead pastor. And we will begin our adventures with the New Testament church by examining its mission, the one that Jesus Christ gave it himself in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, what we most famously call the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Before the church was even officially launched at Pentecost, Jesus met with his disciples on a mountaintop in Galilee, and he gave them this mission. And today I want to reflect on three aspects of that mission that we see in the words of this passage. The first is that their mission was to make disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but for a long time I have struggled with the Great Commission and what it exactly means. Because as we read it in English, there seem to be four commands. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And and I struggle with, well, what's the priority? What's most important? Do I have to go first? Is going required? What if I just teach and I skip the baptizing part? What does that mean? And I think a lot of Christians that I've talked to have some trouble with understanding the Great Commission and and kind of following, pulling the threads apart to understand where the focus is. But the original language is quite a lot clearer because there is only one Greek imperative in the Great Commission. Make disciples. That is the dominant idea and the sole command of Christ to his disciples that day. The other verbs in there go, baptize and teach, Those support it. They explain the how and the when and the where of disciple-making. But the focus is always on making disciples. Now, in New Testament times, a disciple was someone who was fully committed to following their master. 
learning from him, obeying him, memorizing his teachings, serving him. To become a disciple was to choose to consciously imitate the life and the lifestyle and the activity of the master. And so the mission of these first disciples was to go out and to reach every corner of this beautiful world and make disciples of all nations. And I believe that that term nations can be best understood as referring to distinct ethnic people groups versus what we think of as nations today where we're talking about political boundaries and organizations. Now, the reason for this mission is stated in verse 18. Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So he was supreme over every nation and every city and every tribe and every village. And he wanted all his people to know. And so he sends his disciples out specifically to help them know so that they can embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, so that they can be saved and have eternal life, as we were celebrating last Sunday. Then Jesus told them how to make disciples, by baptizing and teaching. Baptizing is shorthand for sharing the gospel, for bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is our most prominent symbol of coming to faith. But it is just a symbol. It's not what saves us. And so the instruction is really to bring people to the point where they will accept baptism, where they have a personal faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then they would enter into believer's baptism, which is that visible confession of the faith that is that first kind of act of obedience to the example of Jesus himself. And of course, following the example of the Master, the life of the Master, that's part of what being a disciple means that you were choosing to imitate the master. On a, I think, timely baptism-related note, I had an email this week from Water of Life. That's the the group I shared with you back in the fall. They they drill freshwater wells in villages in India and West Africa. And they do it, of course, in these villages that just have terrible water conditions. And, And as they do it, as they share the the water, it tends to open doors to share the gospel. In India, they work through a network of local evangelists and pastors. And last Sunday for Easter, they baptized 898,657 new believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is moving. We sometimes forget God is moving, but He is moving. That's disciple-making. But Jesus is very wise. And he knows that if the disciples only focused on being, bringing people to faith, just getting them baptized and then leaving them, that that was not going to get them on the road to discipleship. They would be saved. The whole heaven and hell thing would be settled for them, and that is a good thing. But they'd be missing out on the joys and pleasures of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the second half of how to make a disciple was to teach all believers to obey, to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now, of course, that requires, first of all, that that they actually know what Jesus commanded, which that's why we have preaching, that's why we have Bible study, that's why we have Sunday school. But it can't just be about accumulating head knowledge, because 
I can tell you the academic world is full of people who have accumulated head knowledge about Jesus with no impact in their life. The command is not to teach what he obeyed, or what he commanded. The command is to teach to obey, to bring to a point of learning and accountability where a disciple will do what Jesus says, not just know what he says. Now, as for the when and where, Jesus says that involves going. The disciples are instructed to go. But I think we can see from their example that going doesn't necessarily mean going to the far ends of the earth right off the bat. Many of the disciples, as we read Acts and look at the history of the church, spent years building the church in Jerusalem. They didn't have to leave their hometown, but they did have to go out into their community. They did have to share the faith. They did have to take every opportunity possible to proclaim the gospel. They did have to create opportunities where none presented themselves. That's the essence of it. Going isn't so much about distance. It's about intentionality. Because their mission was to make disciples, and they had to get out into the world to do it. As we look more deeply at the mission that Jesus gave, there is a second aspect that this passage reveals to us. And what it makes clear as I read it is that their mission, which was to make disciples, is our mission. It is so tempting to think that the Great Commission does not apply to us, that it only is for the disciples 2,000 years ago, and missionaries, guys out in the field, and guys who just kind of put their whole life into it, like Chaplain Perez. They're the Great Commission guys. I don't have to worry about it as a teacher or engineer or police officer or government worker or businesswoman or father or mother or student or son or daughter. It's so tempting to say that's someone else's business but it's wrong. Their mission is our mission. And I think there are three reasons from the words of Jesus that makes it clear why. First, the reason for the mission has not changed. Verses 19 and 20, they give us the mission, make disciples. But they flow directly from verse 18. You see, that's why verse 19 begins with the word therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to back up a couple verses because they will explain why the last part is true. The therefore in verse 19 points us to verse 18 because Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And that has not changed in 2,000 years. He still has all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth. He still wants all of his people to be saved. So their mission is our mission. Second, the mission has not expired. It wasn't just a first century mission because verse 20 tells us that the mission goes on to the end of the age. That didn't mean till the end of the first century. It means until the return of Christ. 
So this mission and its support by Jesus will go on until his glorious return. Now, obviously, that was long after the lives of the original disciples. It could not just be limited to them. The mission is for all believers. And so their mission is our mission. And third, we see that this mission is self-perpetuating. And what I mean by that is there is a chain of believers that this mission creates, one that spans 2,000 years nearly. Because part of the mission is to teach new disciples to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And this is something that Jesus commanded. So part of making a disciple is teaching him or her to make new disciples. That's what's brought us the chain of faith for nearly 2,000 years. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and this command is just as valid for you as it was for Peter and John and Andrew and James and Matthew and all the others in the first century. Their mission is our mission. Our church is just as bound to this mission as the New Testament church was. And so as we prepare to define our vision and our, our understand our purpose and our reason for being here in 2016, it has to reflect this mission or else we are out of the will of Jesus Christ. Their mission must be our mission. All of our ministries need to be driven by this mission. We need to be asking whether they help bring new people to faith in Jesus Christ or whether they help teach believers to obey all things he commanded. Every ministry leader and participant needs to be asking this of the things they're doing. And if the answer is neither of those things, we need to be looking at the focus of our mission and our ministry. Do we need to make some adjustments to get on board with the mission that Christ gave his universal church throughout the centuries? This mission is what has to be what drives our new outreach efforts that are, that are coming to fruition in this year. It has to be what drives our new ministries. They can't just be about filling seats and making a, a shiny, happy church. The motivation has to be that we are driven by a compelling need, really, to share the good news that we have with our community. And we have great news, right? Listen to the story of Chaplain Perez, that deliverance, that transformation, that's the greatest news of all time. Because Jesus, the Son of God, came and he lived and he suffered on a cross so that when we mess up, we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven through faith in Christ and it works. God forgives us through the power of the resurrected Christ. And we have to be out there sharing that. That is what has to be driving us. That what we have, eternal life, is what we want for all God's people. And the beauty, I think, of living in 21st century Northern Virginia is that the nations have come to us. And that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. That's threatening to people sometimes. That can be particularly threatening to, 
people in sort of a comfortable, middle-class church environment, that there's been so much change. So many different people and faces and accents. But I am convinced that this is a movement of God in our time that is opening doors that have never been opened before. Going doesn't require a long trip anymore. Going to reach the nations may be as simple as walking across the street. This is an opportunity that we have to embrace as we define our vision. The final aspect of this mission that I want to reflect on from the passage this morning is that this mission brings us close to Jesus. And I will not sugarcoat it. This mission is a difficult mission. I think those who are on this mission would agree. There are challenges, just as there are joys. It is personally and relationally risky. There is a lot of potential for embarrassment or rejection. There is guaranteed to be resistance. There will be resistance from a world that hates the gospel. And there will be resistance from an enemy who hates a church that embraces Christ's mission. We must expect this, that there will be failures and setbacks alongside celebrations and success. But the good news, the great news, is that we will not be doing this mission alone. That we do not do this mission on our own power, which is a good thing, because we could not. We are not sufficient to to deal with a world that is not knowing Jesus. But verse 20 has an amazing promise, and I hope everyone can appreciate it. I want to give you a more literal translation of the words of this promise, as words of Jesus, because I just love it. He says, I myself am with you all the days until the completion of the age. Jesus uses an emphatic I am. That's the name of God itself to make clear that he, God incarnate, the risen and supreme Lord over all of heaven and earth is with us when we perform this mission. That's pretty awesome. And he's not just with us on the good days. Right, the days where people are wanting to hear what we have to say, the pe- where, days where people are, are responding and embracing it. He is with us every single day that we do this mission. The days where we meet with resistance, the days where we stumble in what we're saying and trying to do. That he is with his disciples from, from that day, so many centuries ago, until the completion of this age and his glorious return. He is the power and encouragement that we need to perform this mission, this world-changing mission. And he's the only one we need to please. We don't have to please the world. We don't have to please the government. We don't have to please our friends or our families. We just have to please the one who has promised that he is walking with us every step of the way. If I were to ask, I suspect most of you would say that you want to draw nearer to Jesus and know him better. 
I think we all do, or I would wonder why we're here. Drawing near to Jesus doesn't just come from quiet meditation and reflection and prayer and Bible study, though those things are all important. What we see in this passage is that this mission brings us closer to Jesus. Now, at the same time, I hear many people struggle, I certainly have to, to understand what is God's will for our lives. Well, in a big picture sense, it's written down for us right here. So when you struggle, start there. That's the mission we have been given. Every single one of us needs to get out of the house and get to work on this mission. And it may be for some talking to neighbors or friends, classmates or coworkers, talking about why you have comfort in difficult times talking about what has sustained you through crises in the past, things that help you to stare death in the face and be confident, things that encourage you. It could be serving in our community. It could be serving in the jail. It could be serving with the ESL ministry. It could be serving in a number of different ways, demonstrating the love of Christ to the neighborhood, always with an understanding that This isn't just a good deed. It is a good deed from Christ himself. It can be about teaching our children or our youth or adults in in team kid and youth group and Bible study, Sunday school. It could be a lot of different things. But it is our mission. And Jesus guarantees that he himself is with us when we're doing that mission. All the days. The good ones, the bad ones and everyone in between. This mission brings us closer to Jesus. Do you want that in your life? And it's okay to answer. If it's a yes. If it's a no, keep it to yourself. Do you want this in your life? Do you want this for our church, that we would be closer to Jesus? Then there is a mission to accomplish, and he has given us the power to do it. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, we are amazed that you have not only invited us on this mission, but you you have commanded us to be part of this mission, to build your kingdom, to do the difficult things for you, to be part of the way you restore creation to perfection. It is an honor and it is a privilege. And, And the great thing, though, is that when we are overwhelmed by this and scared by this, we are assured that your Son, the risen Savior of the world, is with us as we do it. We praise you for this, and I pray, Lord, that you would just just burn this mission into our hearts and our minds as both individual believers and as a congregation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If God has been speaking to you this morning through the through the testimony, through the prayer, through the music, through God's word proclaimed, this is the time to respond because we have a mission to accomplish. If you've recently trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I would encourage you to come to the front as we start to sing so we can celebrate together. If you have been attending this church for a while, but you aren't a member, but But God is calling you to get on mission here. 
Then likewise, as we start to sing, come forward to the front. And also, if you are just feeling convicted about how to get involved in God's mission, this mission that Christ gave us, about what your place is, if you are conflicted or confused, I would encourage you to use this space in the front. Just lay it before the Lord in prayer.